Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sittner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with artists and creators from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul through Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. And if you've got something going on around the Twin Cities you'd like to talk about, we want to hear from you. Email us at badmouthtc at gmail.com. Mouthing Off is sponsored by Minnesota Playlist, the digital destination for live performing arts. Producers can find talent to work with. Directors can cast productions with audition ads. Teachers can find students with a classified. And audiences can find the perfect show to attend on the state's largest calendar of theater and dance shows. Find out more at minnesotaplaylist.com. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, we're back with another episode of Melting Off, the Arts and Culture Podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. Although I'm the only, I'm the only one in Minnesota right now. We've got Mari Sittner, one of my two co-hosts. Amanda just moved house, so we're going to give her a break today. Uh, yeah, she's going to be fine. She'll be back. Don't worry. Uh, Mari, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back with a nice returning guest with all the homies. Sad to be without Amanda, but we'll tell you all her address and then we'll have a party at her new house and it'll be a great time. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a mouthing off party. Amanda, you heard it here first. Uh, get out the fine china. Really though, and it's a happy move. I mean, we don't want to give away too many details, but no move is without stress. I think they say it's like divorce, death, moving are like the, the three most stressful things. And then the fourth is doing a podcast. And <laughs> our guest who's been on Mouthing Off before, who is known to to listeners and, and also to the podcastosphere, mm. is my co-host of the other podcast I do, Art of Darkness, Brad Kelly. Brad's in Michigan. How are you, Brad? Hey. I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me back on. This is this is fun. You know, we 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 just recorded a podcast yesterday and it was fairly intense and long. And this is we get to have more of a conversation. Um, and those yeah. podcasts are fun, too, or darkpod.com. But uh, but I'm looking forward to this and appreciate you inviting me back. Yeah, we get to let rip a little bit here. It's nice. And then also Mari mm -hmm. gets to join us and uh, mm -hmm. add, add a little bit of color. And yeah, how long did we go yesterday when we did? Well, for, for people who don't know what the Art of Darkness podcast is, Brad, how would you describe Art of Darkness? Yeah, I, you know, the, the the sort of tagline is it's a, it's a podcast about the dark side of creativity. And it, the, the core of the show is long, in-depth, thoroughly prepared episodes on a variety of of artists biographical profiles yesterday we talked about uh, nina simone so we did four hours plus the pay the, the 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 patreon extra about the life and work of nina simone uh kevin's working on an episode on uh herman hess uh coming up soon um and we did what uh, there'll be 20 some this year that we did so um yeah we go we go we go hard and uh we go Hard and Mari, I don't think you've come on as a guest yet for a dark room. So we do core episodes, and then the core episodes are the heart of the show. They're three, four, five, six hour long episodes where we profile a dead artist. They have to be dead for a year and a day, and then we also have guests come on 
occasionally to help us with the core episodes, though, as the episodes have gotten longer, we've realized we can't ask people to commit to six <laughs> yeah. hours of recording. So we have something we call the dark room where someone will come on. They go, oh, my God, I want to talk about Stanley Kubrick for an hour. And they'll come on and do it. So, Mari, we have to have you on sometime. Do. Yeah. 2024, I Mari. I got to find somebody yeah. who I can talk about for an hour. There's, I mean, so, there's somebody. so many great yeah. guests. Yeah. I mean, not guests. You don't Perfect. have, they're not on the show, yeah. but I, yeah, <laughs> they I are, they are in spirit. It's four <laughs> or five hours to do these podcasts. You have to get up and do stretches. That's crazy. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Brad, they are, Brad they are a bit physical. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, Brad famously doesn't take breaks. Like yeah. people will, people have actually commented and said, Brad, go to the bathroom because <laughs> we do because it is on youtube and i'm up i'm yeah. up every 45 minutes to an hour i don't care yeah. I'll, yeah. i point my finger in the air when i do yeah. my episode i really i probably only take one or two breaks because we take that's the other thing about the franchise of the show is we take turns so mm-hmm. brad covers nina simone i cover herman hessa uh i'm going to be doing john lennon brad's preparing William S. Burroughs. Do you want to tell mm-hmm. people the Burroughs story, Brad? People who don't know, like, why are we going back to Burroughs? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, we our first episode we ever did of Art of Darkness was on William S. Burroughs, and we didn't. We had, um, we knew what the spirit of the show was, but we didn't totally understand yet what the format of it was. And you know, I think that's that's a kind of an interesting. Um, anecdote or analogy about like the creative process in general it's like you kind of just got to do it and allow it to change over time and you know you're not gonna it's not gonna be the perfect thing you want it to be ever probably but it's certainly not certainly not like round one first time up to the plate but so we did we did an episode on William S. Burroughs and I um I did some preparation and uh, we had the idea that it was going to be about the dark side of create of creativity and who better to cover than 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 William S. Burroughs the American writer and drug addict and uh you know uh pederast pederast and man who killed his wife and um a variety of other um uh, unforgivable things uh and we went for an hour. And an hour is not enough time to tell the life story of, of, frankly, of anyone. But then, you know, you get somebody who's got a lot of work, a a lot of artistic output that you want to discuss as well. An hour, just there is no way to tell the story in an hour, at least not in a compelling way. Um, So we're going back to the beginning of season four, going back now that we understand what the show is. uh, We're going to do William S. Burroughs properly going to cover him properly so. yeah he had a dark yeah, life yeah, yeah i he just did. recently saw the david cronenberg naked lunch movie for Good. the first time and weird it yeah. was i rarely have to turn things off because they're so gross <laughs> but yeah. that was one where about halfway through i had to take a break because it was so gross yeah it's just it's repulsive for sure and it's also it's like it, it also has almost nothing to do with the book no, it really yeah. doesn't. I was kind of, I felt the way, you know, the the Lolita tagline, how did they ever make a movie out of out of this? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt. And, you know, it has some of the grosser things. I mean, I think the, if any anybody who hasn't read Naked Lunch, spoiler alert, yeah. the Black <laughs> I don't even know if you can spoil that, that book, eat. to be honest. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you want to be shocked, but they have a lot of the bugs that people eat and they go to locations that are more from his life than mm-hmm. necessarily from the book. They go to the interzone, but it's really just 
which was it Tangiers where he Tangiers, spent a bunch of his time? Yeah, Tangiers, yeah it's Morocco. really just yeah. there, but yeah. it's nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's repulsive. And and interestingly, now that I'm doing all this research on Burroughs' life and I'm going much more in depth, I kind of realized that his work strange as it may sound, is a lot more autobiographical than you might assume. It's just the way that he weaves it in is if you didn't do kind of a deep dive on his life, you would never know. But now that I've, I've read a lot about his life and now I'm reading Naked Lunch and some other stuff, I'm like picking up all these pieces from, you know, oh, that was his childhood. You know, he's, you know, he's talking about something that happened in his childhood here, except it's, you know, happening in some weird other dimension or, you know, it's it, the fourth wall has been knocked down or something. Right. He's he's doing very creative things with it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah it's tough to say that anything he's written has a plot. Yeah, not really. You yeah. can't really it, it, it doesn't. No, no, they don't. But it's I, if it's I, about his childhood, it's what a disturbing childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> My barber has a Burroughs adding machine, but Burroughs, the family, of course, because we want to tell people about, uh, I mean, because Burroughs was a trust yeah. fund kid, right, Brett? Yeah, yeah, he was. His grandfather um, invented the Burroughs adding machine, which was like the go-to piece of office equipment for accounting work. I mean, it would be like inventing... It was like inventing the computer or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. DOS, um, be like yeah, uh, yeah, Bill Gates like, of the day. Yeah, yeah, and so, so that was that was Burroughs' grandfather, and that money trickled right on down to to William S. Burroughs himself. So, yeah, he lived on an allowance until he was about fifty years old, I think. <laughs> nice, based, <laughs> jealous. <laughs> Well, Brad, I'm going to ask you, because we never paused to, and that's an open invitation, by the way, Mari, maybe we'll talk about some of the get, or the uh, the topics that we're going to cover next year. You should come on for a darkroom, awesome. uh, maybe something theater. I know you're a big cinephile, Mari. You, uh, you know a lot about film, so mm -hmm. maybe we can find a way in that way. Um, sure. But Brad, over the years here, what have you learned <laughs> from doing and i don't mean factoids although the factoids yeah. are fun yeah right? are. like if, yeah. We, if we ever get invited to a cocktail party will be very interesting mm -hmm. uh if, if if that should ever happen again uh <laughs> right you know but like, I, that hasn't you... happened since the incident yeah. <laughs> right not um... since the, the capital i incident yeah but i mean what have you what have you learned because i mean we both covered 30-ish topics and we we walk the other guy through mm -hmm. and then we also talk about about the topics in the subjects in the darkroom. I mean, yeah. we've, we've spent probably as much time as as anybody alive has on thinking about the nature of creativity, which is mm. what our show is about. We talk about the dark side because yeah. you got to have an angle. And also, I think we're both kind of kind of into that. I think it's yeah. you know people want the people want the sauce, right? And, right. You know, we set out to be the antidote to the overproduced and maybe smiley happy feel good kind of stuff that's out there around the arts the the tote yeah. bag crowd right right we, we right. kind of wanted to be the antidote so i guess what did you what have you learned so far on our adventure yeah this is this is kind of a good question and i guess i almost don't even stop to think about it very often but it's true this is like a long-term investigation into the nature of creativity by looking at some of the most creative people who've ever lived um I mean, the one thing, I, I, a lot of stuff comes to mind. You know, one thing I would say is that creativity is um, a gift and a curse in some ways. Um, most of the people who have had the most incredible creative output, um, there is an aspect in which they've channeled it, but they had to do it. 
like it comes it it's a it's it's in some ways a compulsion and it can be used productively and it can be used for you know to make incredible things that we we all enjoy and find edifying but but it often comes from a, a compulsion and like many compulsions there's a you know it, there can be a dark side to it um so there's that um the one thing i've also learned is it's funny in a, there, there's like a product of the internet age where um there's people do you guys know who andrew huberman is is that no. name ring a bell okay the so name andrew rings a bell yeah so andrew huberman and, and this isn't a knock on him and i maybe i shouldn't have even said him necessarily because i think he's a brilliant guy but he's a he's a neuroscientist and he has like a podcast and write i mean he may even write articles but he's always got like these are the exact things that you should do to like maximize this right and it's all about like this is the steps to how you should wake up and you know all, all of these things and, and i'm not saying that he's wrong but i think it's interesting when you see you know he'll say him or people like that will say well here's the scientific secret to creativity and then right. you listen to it and you're like did uh, okay how much of that did nina simone do zero of it right the the people right. that really did this they're not they're not going through and looking at a list of hacks to figure out like how to shave a third a third of a second off how long it takes you know what i mean there's there's no hacks there aren't hacks there's no shortcut there's no there's no way to get around just doing the thing um so that's another part it's 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 there's it's like a it's a campaign and, it, and there's no there's no answer um there there's no shortcut there's no there's no secret um it's a lot of you know blood sweat and tears and hopefully it's mostly sweat um so that's certainly one thing um yeah i mean the other thing is is also like one thing here's one thing dark thing i've realized this is a dark, this is a dark one, I, I suppose, if the other two haven't been dark. I kind of have realized that one of the reasons that a lot of artists get a reputation for being assholes is because that's the only way the world will let you will give you the time to work on the thing you need to work on. Yeah. Yep. Because otherwise you're just saying, yes, well, yes. OK, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. I'll compromise this. I'll do. But if you're just like, no, everybody's like, well, why are you such a jerk? But really, you're just trying to create some space in your life to work on this thing, right? Um, so I've kind of come to realize that too, and that's that's kind of rough because then you kind of think, you know, you got to think like how, as a creative person, like how how do you manage that, knowing that like a lot of the most creatively productive people in the world were total jerks, and it's actually kind of in a way part of the process. So that's that's uh not necessarily a happy story but i do think it's actually part of it and some people manage to not do that to that uh, manage to get away without that reputation but it is well, a thing i mean and then you have the you have the introverted types who maybe don't they I mean they excise people from their lives so there's nobody to hurt there's right. nobody to offend right then it's just you I mean, i'm thinking about anna kavan for example the novelist it's just mm -hmm. her and her her heroine and mm -hmm her writing and who could Anna Kavan really hurt. Right. 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 And so it all ends up hurting her. It just hurts her. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you have the opposite end where you have someone like Kubrick, who is a famous megalomaniac, monomaniac, but who's good enough <laughs> that right. everybody just goes, oh, 
okay, we'll just right. what does Stanley want? All right, mm-hmm. let's let's work with him and mm-hmm. deal with it. So you sort of sort of by the by the time he was making, let's say, the shining, you kind of knew what you were getting. Uh, and he was the master and you, there was, and there was money coming in from it too. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a profitable enterprise. Whereas, you know, uh, it's very difficult to make a living off of, (laughs) off of your own creative output. Right. So, yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that I, I I guess I have learned, you know, another thing I've learned is, is, um, how much, um, serendipity is involved in the production or just the opportunities that arise you know we were we were talking last just then this one's top of mind because we, we talked about it yesterday talking about the the um nina simone episode her first big hit was a song she didn't even really care about like she didn't she would have never played it on her own is this the porgy I, I, I love, you, I love porgy. You porgy and it's a huge hit it's all of a sudden you know and and um uh, I was thinking about in in the lead up to that episode, I was I was uh, posting on Twitter some threads about other bands who'd covered some of the same songs Nina Simone had covered, and there was a band that came up, this band from the Detroit area, Frigid Pink, right in the '60s, and uh, they recorded a version of House of the Rising Sun just because they had another half an hour of studio time. They're making their album. They're like, well, let's just do. I guess we'll just play House of the Rising Sun. We all know it, right? And they do it international hit. It's the only hit they ever had. <laughs> Sells hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies. Nobody listens to any of their other music. And, you know, it's just literally they had an extra half an hour of studio time and they, they thought they would do something with it. So that's another thing is like something about you, you have to have a certain degree of openness and kind of letting things happen. Um, yeah, that's a pretty classic actor anecdote too is when you go into an audition it's always the one that you don't care about that you end up booking right because you're just so relaxed and everyone can tell yeah yeah i think i think that's i think that's i think that's very true yeah yeah and then you know but it doesn't always work sometimes you do have to like really you know take the take the steering wheel and you know drive this thing but yeah Sure, sure. It's that that uh, sort of uncanny valley, if you will, of like craft and then also serendipity, right? Because if you don't have your craft together, if you don't know how to play, if you can't do the the chord progression for House of the Rising Sun, you can't hang. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get the recording down, but you're there. Reminds me of uh, Fassbender in that great film, um, Ali Fear Eats the Soul. Do you know that film? Do you know the story behind that, Brad? No, no, I don't. Oh, that's a great film you should see. And yeah. Mari was nodding. And uh, people who haven't seen it, this is a classic uh, film. Uh, uh, it's a love story between a Turkish immigrant and an older German woman in in Germany, like in the 70s. And it's sort of a metaphor for queer love and all the rest. Um, and they, and this is, of course, way before digital, they... They were between two shoots or or they had a shoot coming up and they had the equipment in their in their possession for like an extra two or three weeks. They just made a movie. <laughs> right. Nice. They just made a movie. Yeah. And it's like yeah. considered one of his maybe his greatest film. <laughs> right. You're just right. like, like, what are we doing? You know, and that and that I will say is the thing that I have taken away from from the pod. And it all this all dovetails into what you were saying. But it's that nobody that we've covered so far waited around for anybody. No. To give them permission to do anything. Nobody yeah. waited around. They weren't w- waiting to get an agent. They weren't uh, sending blind submissions and then crying when they came back with rejection. You know, yeah. they they just weren't. From Virginia Woolf to Nina Simone yeah. to Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick 
got money together from like a dentist in the Bronx, <laughs> right? Right, his neighborhood dentist and a bunch of family and people, and took his uh, took a group of actors and a production crew, small production crew to California, nearly killed them with some toxic gas on accident. Right. Uh, on accident, Stanley Kubrick. And, you know, and then he made his first feature film. It's like a short feature film. Is it great? No, but did it get him noticed? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he made it. He made his feature film. And, you know, and we live now in an era where there's no excuses. There's no excuses. Right. You could make it, yeah. you could make like probably a passable short film and pot, potentially even like a feature film. If you had a good sound guy, you could do it with an iPhone. Yeah. You really yeah. could. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. have been plenty of movies made on an iPhone. And I mean, I was talking. With some of my friends yesterday, we had a conversation about the Dog Me 95 films. And that's the epitome of just go out and do it. Yeah. 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 They were intentionally not like not uh necessarily relying on any of like the studio conventions, right? And and, and that movement. Yeah. And they made some interesting stuff for sure. Yeah. That's a lot like our podcast, Brad. And I'm not even kidding. We don't yeah. we don't edit. We don't no. we're not the ums and the uhs go in and people yeah. seem to appreciate it and and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, it adds I mean, I think it adds a certain um I you know, especially if the episodes have gotten longer, I think it adds a certain um almost like attention to it, the fact that like, you know, we're gonna talk for four or five hours straight. It's challenging to do like cognitively and physically and i think that actually lends a certain kind of energy to the conversation you get a little punchy you know it gets a little like it just not that it's even rough around the edges necessarily it, it feels like this thing that's kind of teetering a little bit it's like oh is it gonna get to, how are we gonna it get has to the, the quality of it makes me think and, and i don't know mari if this would be a topic you'd want to come on and discuss we're doing hitchcock next year that could be possibly fun, but it makes me think of rope, Brad. There's mm -hmm. no way there, you know, there are no edits when we do. And of all the episodes that you've done where you've covered the subject, Brad, is is there one that where you felt like you changed states more than the <laughs> others? Because I have one, I know one for oh, sure okay. where I went, I went on a voyage. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. Oh, Philip K. Dick episode uh, okay. for sure was was kind of like that for me. Um, and then, uh, the David Foster Wallace episode was, was like that for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you, you opened the David Foster Wallace episode <laughs> in kind of a manic state. Uh, <laughs> I did. Yeah. And well, that intentionally was... trying to express what it was like to be in David Foster Wallace's head. And then I stopped doing that and I kind of internally, I stayed at that register the whole time. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> I just, and I love our audience too. We have a very mm. interesting range of people. It's very heterodox, you know, mm. uh, Politically, we've got people of all stripes. We've got kind of quiet fans who just kind of, you know, or quiet listeners who just still mm -hmm. pop up. They'll, they'll send us an email and then we never hear from them again. And then we've yeah. got like our diehards who are in the chat and who follow every development and everything. It's mm -hmm. really fun to see. The one that blew my mm -hmm. mind, like doing it was Dante. Mm -hmm. I, I was like in another life, I, I could, I now understand why somebody would go and become a, medieval scholar or a scholar of renaissance uh italy yeah. or early modern yeah uh, florence and just you you really could devote your life to to dante the study of dante alighieri and have a completely fulfilling life and i have i have a degree in history and philosophy and i've always sort of wondered like how do these people do that like it's just such a thing 
It's like, it's it, 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 in a way, it's very modest because they're, these people will surrender their entire lives to this obscure corner of knowledge. Right. But having read, having just skimmed the surface of the comedy and, and doing that episode, I realized like, oh, you're not losing anything by just diving. If you, you could yeah. really understand humanity writ large through the lens of that that book yeah i mean there's 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 i always think about this like there there's two broad sort of philosophies about sort of seeking knowledge right there's there's focusing on one thing so deeply that you get to the point that you know everything about nothing if that makes sense and then there's also broadening so that you you study so broadly that you you know um nothing about everything uh, <laughs> and, and the air to darkness is a little bit more of the broad thing, right? We, we only take about a month to prepare an episode. There's, there, there's a certain level of depth you can only get to in a month. Um, that's reasonable, but, but there are episodes afterwards where I, similar to you, Kevin, where I thought like, yeah, I could see dedicating the next decade to that, that <laughs> like, for me, that one was and that it was Emily Dickinson. It's like, I could see just reading everything she read reading everything, you know, that was going on at the time, right. studying the Visiting. religion at the time, um, you know, parsing through the the ha handwritten versions of everything, trying to see what secrets were there. I could, I could have done that. With, I could do that with Emily Dickinson. It'd be amazing too, because the way you would understand contemporary America would totally change just by studying that. You yeah, would exactly. see the world in a complete, it's so fascinating because there are people wandering around right now who see a completely different America from what we see simply because of their scholarship. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. they, yeah. Uh, well, I want to talk about our creative projects and things. And I want to yeah. give a little air to air to Mari, too. And of course, because Mari's a playwright, we're Badmouth Theater Company. Mari's one third of the tripod. We have to lure her back into the Twin Cities at some point. But Mari, what are you working on right now with your with the theater? Are you writing anything? What's going on there? Well, I was I think I told you this. I was working on something, but the cast was so big that I had to stop. I was attempting to write my magnum opus with a cast of eight or nine. Oh. It was not happening. It's too it could early. not have been smaller than that. It was too much. I I gave it up. You know, a big part of making stuff is learning how to walk away. Yeah. I tried and I walked away. Okay. Because at 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 Bad Mouth Theater Company, we are doing plays with casts of two or three. three. Four People is a stretch. Can, <laughs> four, we can make it happen, but two or three is ideal. We're yep. getting back to our real indie roots. <laughs> it, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to cast nine actors for a reading, to cast four and stage directions, just schedules alone. I mean, and we're just a little scrappy little people is, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mari, and of course, after you win the Pulitzer for the for the two hander, right? The the nine person play will be waiting for you. You know, it'll be there for you. One of these days, it's not yeah. gone forever. It's just yeah. Now is not the time. <laughs> so, are you in? Are you germinating a new idea then? Looking, looking for my inspiration. Okay. My friend suggested right. doing a fast. She suggested fasting for forty eight hours. So hmm. I may be taking that up in the next week or so yeah, your mind goes some crazy places when you're hangry it, it certainly does well and of course because we're going to be doing two readings this uh winter here into the spring so february i'm it's hopeful 
it's wishful thinking. February, at the end of February, we're going to do a reading of something that I have yet to write, which is going to be a one, in theory, is going to be a one-woman show for our collaborator, Amanda, which hopefully will get into the fringe. And then you are you have a slot for a reading. So you've got a deadline, Mari. you got to come... Uh, you know, uh, you got to come up with something, and Which that's is a that's major all. Blessing a deadline is a blessing. Mm-hmm. It really. I is. love I love yeah. deadlines. Yes, I do. Badmouthtc.com. Check it all out, Brad. I mm. we man. I mean, we hung out in Michigan in the woods at our annual. Yeah corporate retreat trust exercise uh, <laughs> That's right. which was which was really exciting and of course I'll, I'll see you next year in Detroit for the live show we're going to do in the fall we're going to do yeah. Harry Houdini Harry in the Houdini. fall yeah yeah it's going to be cool we might yeah. have a magician too I'm I'm, I'm sourcing magi- local magician uh, I, I love us. I love this idea. That's so good, dude. Uh, you just mm-hmm. that's the first time he mentioned that, that yeah. but that's 100% what I'm talking about I think like I don't know what the future will bring for Out of Darkness. Like if we 10X the audience from here, we mm-hmm. we would be able to tour uh, mm-hmm. respectably and go to small venues, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, Dublin, London, you know, whatever, uh, maybe keep it domestic right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the idea of having openers that are germane, related. related. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And not even like openers, you call them openers. It's just like, no, like other people who, you know, perform. Yeah, like, this you is know, what sure, the show, they, the, the live yeah, this is the, of show. the show has. The, yeah. 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 Well, exactly. it's like when we did, and it, and and for people who don't know Art of Darkness, for for mouthing off listeners and and the Frogtown Radio audience, you can go to artofdarkpod.com. It's all there, and we did a live episode in St. Paul. We did F. Scott Fitzgerald Part One. That that that's maybe not the best place to start listening to Art of Darkness because it's an odd episode, but you can hear us do it live, and we're going to do it again. And and Badmouth Theater Company did a reading after. We went so that so I guess we were the openers for that yeah, one, Brad. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's in that case, it made a lot of sense because we kind of teed up. Okay, who is F. Scott Fitzgerald? Now here's some of F. It made it made a lot of sense in that in that case. I think but, it yeah. sure did. But I love the idea mm-hmm. of having a magic man. Can can he pull like a rabbit out of the hat for me? Can he can he pull well, a career I, out of the out of I, the hat for me? <laughs> I did. I did see a, a local, uh, a fairly young guy, local working magician here in the Detroit area. Oh, two or three months ago, and he was quite good. So, um, just a matter of kind of figuring out if that's the the right fit or, or what. So, um, yeah, he did some cool. He did some cool sleight of hand, and he did a couple little escape things, and he was good. Yeah, awesome. Where I did love you that go? Idea. Where did you go see this? Oh well, fellow. listeners will know a, that I am also from Detroit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was a this was a, a a Detroit Historical Society put on an event which they do every year or so, and they have a variety of them. And so this was as we go to those if they seem fun, and this one was fun. So, yeah. All right. Well, so I was that was a long way of asking, Brad. What do you have going on? I know you're oh, working yeah. on a novel. People can find you online, tell people where they can find you. And then I want to hear what you, we never, yeah. we never pause just to talk about our own stuff. Man. <laughs> it's true. What, it's what true. do you got going on? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me. Um, the easiest way to find me is Twitter. My name, it's just my name at Brad Kelly, but my uh, website where you can, excuse me, find a lot of stuff is Brad Kelly esque. That's K E L L Y E S Q U E.com. Um, yeah, so the the big thing I've got going on now, other than our darkness, is I've, I'm working on a novel um, that will I'll be done with it sometime in the early part of uh, 2024. I've been working on it for about ooh, three and a half years or so at this point, um, and it's always tricky to do kind of the elevator pitch. I mean, it's um, it is a uh, well, 
I here's the here's the slug line I have written on my whiteboard. <clears throat> Uh, and this is sort of a half joke, but this just keeps me targeted on what it's about. Disgraced Professor James Murray must outwit a subterranean time demon in order to see his real family again. <laughs> okay, so that's the one <laughs> sentence description of it. It's a lot of it is set in a sewer. Uh, it is it's got very much supernatural elements. If people are interested in uh, the phrase that goes around the Internet, there are portals. This is a there are portals novel. Um, it has uh it's set in in detroit um there is a particular part of the detroit area that i have um somewhat uh insane ideas about (laughs) i i I think that detroit i think detroit is cursed um and i think i figured out where the curse starts and that plays it plays a role in the novel as well but there's a little bit of sort of contemporary stuff going on here i said disgraced professor that's kind of a, a almost almost topical aspect of the story um i really wanted to write kind of like blue collar horror in the sense of like the film alien is so it's got a bit of that um yeah, I think it's got yeah, fun for the whole family. That's, that's a great point about Alien being a blue-collar horror. Alien is mm-hmm. just has so much class written all over it. People kind mm-hmm. of forget that element of it because you yeah, there's just a bunch, the of, monster, a bunch but... of mostly it's a bunch of working people, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like that dynamic, and they don't know what's going on, trying to figure it out. I, I, I really like that dynamic. So, um, so yeah, yeah. That's and sh- should be out sometime, um, you know, next year. I have a book out that's been out since 2021 that people seem to like house of sleep. So you can find that as well if you want to, you know, and actually I should say while we're on this, because people who are listening to this are people who listen to stuff. The first third of house of sleep is available for free in audio on my website. Brad Kelly ask. Yeah.com. Is that right? Dot com. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Brad, for I'm sure. very excited for your new novel. You have a publisher yeah. lined up yet? Are we no? We, no, no, we'll okay. see. We'll see what happens. Well, they're but it, they're it chopping at the bit. They want yeah. everybody wants the new Brad Kelly joint, but he's just he's not gonna give it he's not gonna give it to the first suitor. Hey, you gotta hey, wind well, dine this guy first. Ask permission. No, you, you just, just gotta it. publish it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I might it could come to that. I we'll see what happens. But here's the other thing. It's it's 2023. Taking your time is a revolutionary act, is what I've decided. Um, there's nobody who's going to, like, everything is about doing it now, doing it now. And there, there is something to be said for producing and make, getting the thing out there. But there's also something to be said for, no, this takes a while to develop. And I'm, I'm a slow writer. And um, if you haven't read anything I've written, I guarantee it's worth it. <laughs> it awesome, shows dude. that I've taken my time. So... Great, man! Wow, I'm really excited. And uh, tell people about your process. I think you you wake up early, don't you? You're up yeah, at five a.m. Yeah, I'm usually up uh, a little after four, and then writing by about four thirty. By the time I've kind of got coffee and like all that, um, yeah. So you just yeah, I get up at about four four thirty. I write as long as I can, which usually ends up being until six thirty seven o'clock during the week. Um. Yeah, it's just a slow chip away process. And and I do many, many, many drafts. Um, I have realized that for me, a novel, the, the best thing to do is once you've got the kind of an idea, um, I write the first, say, act, and then go back to the beginning and then write past the first act until like the midpoint. 
and then go back to the beginning and then right to the end of, say, the second act. The acts are kind of loose in the sense, but and then you go back to the beginning and you write all the way into the third act and then you go back to the beginning and you write all the way to the end and then you see what you've got. So um, it's arduous and and uh, but but it's interesting because for me, at least a lot of the creative process comes um, along spontaneously during writing like you can only plan so much a lot of the best stuff comes just like fingers are flying but you have to go back and kind of integrate that stuff and make sure it makes sense to some degree and make sure it's neat make sure it's actually saying what you want it to say so that's the reason for you know many 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 drafts well there you are no excuses you gotta be up at 4 a.m uh, that's yeah that's not how kevin writes i'll tell you that much mari yeah, what about you I mean, everybody's yeah. got a different way of doing it yeah, yeah. i'm a night you, writer not waking night up writer. at 4 a.m no I way too, yeah i i just i write in uh because i we're playwrights so it's different we don't have to devote three years to a novel or two years to a novel thank goodness uh i don't know how they do it i get lonely i i truly do i get lonely because i'm an extrovert so i want to write my play i want to draft a play in three weeks sometimes three days mm -hmm. you can you can write a full-length play in three days if you have enough coffee and you're hyped up enough and the idea is there you really can draft it in three days 90 pages for sure uh doesn't always happen that way Usually it takes me at least like two to three weeks, but you figure five to six good pages a day, do the math. Uh, I mean, you know, it, how many days is that, Maury? I mean, does it take probably three weeks? Yeah, 20 days? Yeah, I would say it pages. usually takes me about a month. And then I like <laughs> to take a couple of weeks and then look back at it and then move right. forward. And it all happens in the revision. In I'm sure it's the same in the novel, but with the play too. I mean, your first thing is like you might have 120 pages, and by the time it's done, it's 88 pages, and you've right. responded to what actors have done, and you know, you takes takes a month to draft, and then two years to realize. Right? It's just a script is just a blueprint. But yeah, yeah I'm not getting up at four o'clock. Hell no. Yeah. no I mean, I used to be I used to be a night writer too, and then just like the the sort of shape and schedule of my life sort of disallowed it, and I had a reach a point where it's like well i mean they're going to do it at four o'clock in the morning or i'm literally not going to do this anymore that was kind of what it came down to and so how i get up at four in the morning yeah yeah if you've got to make the choice i mean you wake mm -hmm. up at 4 a.m you take your supplements you got your smoothie you do mm -hmm. your workout you optimize mm -hmm. you just gotta optimize optimize <laughs> optimize your writing routine like those guys mm -hmm. on youtube who write a screenplay in one night yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody should be doing that. <laughs> Mine's a little sloppier than that, but yeah, yeah. There are guys on YouTube who write a screenplay in one night. Yes, I've seen that yeah. many times. They read a screenplay book, they hit mm. all the beats, and they do it in one night. And I mean, I know about that process, but I mean, I'm curious. It's about weird that they're writing. not. It's weird that they're not selling them or in film festivals or anything like that, right? That is that is paid <laughs> placement for Adderall. I don't buy it. <laughs> who wrote the? Who made this YouTube video? Adderall it's brought to you by <laughs> Pfizer. Yeah, what were you saying, uh, Mari? Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, I know that personally, when I'm writing a play, I do write chronologically and i think that that comes from just being a theater person and being a theater actor and wanting to do the whole thing in order but when it comes to novel writing do you write chronologically i mean you kind of you kind of mentioned when you mean like that you, you do. write from the start of the book to the end 
Yeah, is that what you do? Yeah, yeah, but 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 it gets it, that's how you start, and then it gets it can get a little like complicated. Like every once in a while, I'll realize like you know I really should go back and rewrite that whole scene based on some new thing I figured out, right? So it is it's it's all back and forth, and the, it, and that makes it tricky to even say like how many times how many drafts of this are there. Well, is it a new draft when it went back and added four sentences, or like you know exactly. it gets kind it's of so it, tough. When you're right. editing, it's like you version like 3.25. Yeah. Yeah, is, so, is it a new right, thing or not? Right. And and I keep a sheet. I keep a sheet of things I know I need to change. Like it's probably 100, 200, 150 bullet points that are like things that have come up. And I'm like, actually, I got to make sure because this happens now in chapter 17. I got to make sure in chapter three that, you know, that thing's in his left hand, not his right hand. Uh, stuff stuff like that 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 can drive you insane frankly um just like continuity stuff can drive you totally nuts but, mm. but you try to get to try yeah, to get it at least close to right there's yeah. so much to track in a novel and tone and plot and character and mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a really serious undertaking yeah. did you can you tell us what was the first time you you said i have to write a novel i have to be a novelist what went wrong, Brad? No, that's a good question. I was uh, uh, I wrote a novel in seventh grade that was about a hundred pages at least. Yeah, yeah, at least a hundred pages. It might have been a little bit longer than that. So that was basically then. I'd written some short stories, like literally in elementary school. Um, I wrote comic books, and I tried to draw. I couldn't really draw. Um, I made, but me and a couple friends made comic books all through elementary school, and then I wrote a couple short stories. They were all like about monsters. I had like a short story about a werewolf. I mean, I was like fifth grade, sixth grade, right? I had a story about a werewolf and a story about a vampire, a story about the boogeyman, which actually might have been kind of a cool concept, <laughs> that one. <laughs> and then I wrote a, and then I wrote a, I, like a, literally like a hundred page, like if I can remember what the plot was, there was some kind of excavation. There was some kind of like, drilling operation that tapped into like a corner of hell and released a bunch of demons onto the surface of the planet and sort of possessed people and kind of laid waste to the country. And then some guy was kind of picked as like a messiah. I don't remember all the details or why all these things happened, but that was, that was the story. And he was supposed to like save humanity. Yeah. Weirdly well, Catholic, so you were writing like, yeah, yeah very, very Catholic. Yeah, you were, yeah, the one true faith. And you were, uh, yeah. yeah, so you were writing a kind of like high fantasy, sort of high concept sci-fi YA. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. wild. And now you write, yeah. your stuff is, it's literary, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not like an NPR book about a professor who accidentally sleeps with a student. <laughs> right, right, like, right, right, it's, right, right. It's a, it's a little different. Yeah. 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 It's tricky to kind of place, which is somewhat intentional, but also sort of like my interests. Like I like plot driven stuff. Like I like it for things to happen and as a reader for it to feel like it matters what happens next. But there is a lot of, a lot of the sort of literary stuff that kind of gets a lot of attention from a literary standpoint now to me just subject matter isn't particularly interesting i just don't i just don't care like you know my life until maybe 5 to 10 years ago was felt like it was insane and so then you pick up like sally rooney and it's like well we had some dates that didn't go well like, i don't care like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nothing against her particular. I God, it's so name, it's hard like, to manage an inheritance. Right. Oh. Like, I don't. I don't care. You know. And right. and and right. and you know. I'm also. I had 
strange ideas about, you know, how the world could work. Um, and I was obsessed with X-Files and, and Twilight Zone when I was a kid. And, you know, uh, I'm just and I, I tried to write realistic fiction for a while. And at some point I just decided that that wasn't really my lane. Yeah, it's just not it's not just it's just not what like turns me on, frankly. Like, and it absolutely has to to get you up at four o'clock every morning and to keep going for 18 months or 12 months right. or even six months. It's just you have to be excited about it. Right. When you right, put your right. head on the pillow. Yeah. 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 And it's funny, too, because like, you know, what I've also realized the when you're going to go into like sort of sci- speculative terrain, I've realized in writing this one that, you know, what makes it actually easier is um believing that the idea like the speculative supernatural whatever element believing that is how things work so like you don't actually have to actually believe it but like putting yourself into the mind frame of like what if this was real what if this was how it was and like buying into it instead of sort of sitting back and being like this is interesting intellectually really like accepting the fact that there are portals underground (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've definitely had experiences like that where I remember in when I was writing my college thesis play, I convinced myself that I was actually clairvoyant mm-hmm. and yeah. I was manifesting my dreams into reality. Yeah. You See, can really exactly. trick yourself into some crazy stuff. There's some black magic that goes on when you're when yes. you're deep in the process. Yeah, for sure. And I think you got to kind of like let yourself go into that space to some degree, at least. Yeah, Because people resonate with it. I mean, everybody likes a crazy... Everybody mm-hmm. likes a crazy freak. They yeah, may not yeah. admit it, but everybody does. <laughs> and I'm I'm honestly convinced that you will not survive through the 21st century unless you you believe at least one totally insane thing. Like I don't think you can armor yourself against like what is happening if you don't have at least one totally out there opinion. <laughs> well, because then like... your your rationality becomes your insanity, which was Silicon Valley right in a and, nutshell, which is they're so <laughs> rational that they're insane. Yeah, yeah, and then it gets, and then it ends up getting used against you because it's like, you know, it's like, well, don't you, you know, don't you follow the, you know, don't you follow the science on this? And then you're supposed to be following it about everything, and then if it turns out wrong, they just everybody kind of pretends that didn't happen. But yeah, if you science least, isn't real, you just right. have to follow the angels, right? What are you yeah, about? yeah. As if you if you accept at least one crazy idea, then at least like you're open enough that you can actually be more skeptical, in my opinion. Anyway, mm. yeah. It's a well, this bit reminds of me of uh, one of our arch subjects, Alistair Crowley, The Beast mm. 666, who is a very popular episode. I think our most mm-hmm. popular episode is DFW, but Crowley might be uh, kind it's of up, up there. there. Yeah. Yeah. He he would do these goofy things, and I'm not a Crowleyan by any means, uh, but he would do these, these fascinating things. He would do these like mind hacks where he'd be like, okay, put down the f- five or six of the world's major religions. All right, now roll a dice, you know, roll a die, whatever it is. Is it dice or die? Roll die. a, roll a die. Yeah, roll a die. And whatever that is, whatever comes up, if you get uh, Catholicism, yeah. practice that with mm-hmm. all your heart for a month. Just go hard and believe it, mm-hmm. right? And, and, I mean, who knows what kind of crazy stuff that does to your brain over right. time. Like, you, I mean, you probably can. I mean- and also, like, I think I saw somebody on Twitter recently. It might have been you, Brad. Somebody was talking about how, like, was it Lovecraft who studied, like, the, like, the, like, when he was writing his stories, would study the, 
like the state of the phase of the moon in a given location yeah. for yeah. yeah and then like alan really Moore did the same about thing. it yeah like yeah. how how immersed can you become in in the thing that you're creating i mean you kind of right. have to believe it if you want to fool other people like do you think <laughs> that do you think that uh jk rowling was like she probably had full-blown hallucinations where she was like on the bus going, look at all these muggles. Right. You, right. 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 You yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah. I mean, and look at her now. She's doing all right. Yeah. 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 And yeah, that's the, that's the thing I'm saying. It's, it's not even necessarily like let yourself go completely crazy. There's some probably backstop you need to have, but like you do kind of have to go there to a certain extent it, for at least to even understand what's going on with the characters as they respond to this thing. Right. Um, it, you, there's no place to have like a cool having like a cool distance from ironic distance from everything is not all that interesting to me you go to enough yeah. coolly ironic readings you realize mm -hmm. that they're yeah. not interesting right it's there, there's nothing much to say yeah cool yeah yeah when did that take off why did that happen because i've never been coolly ironic i'm way too <laughs> earnest like painfully earnest like mm. when did that mari you, you look like you have an opinion it's just here. like hipster crap yeah, it's just hipster. You don't care. Cool to not care. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or gotta right. be early two thousands. It seems like a grunge thing. <laughs> yeah, it kind of. Yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, 90s yeah. Into the 2000s. Grunge was never my look. I don't. I was never into it. I was more metal. Metal's very earnest. That's true. <laughs> Me yeah. Metal people are very. We'll tell you what we think and uh, strong feelings and like wear it on wear it on your sleeve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'll just never be cool. Yeah. I don't know. There, it's tricky because I think there were multiple phases of it. I think it did. I think there was an aspect of that started in grunge and I was definitely a grunge kid. And there was and that that was sort of the, the hipster thing felt like an af. Now that we have some time to look back at it, it felt like a kind of an aftershock or an echo of grunge. Right. That happened kind of later, but had some of the same aesthetics. Um, and yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean. I interpreted it during the hipster phase. I had a lot of hipster friends. And so I guess in some ways I like, you know, if you hang out enough with enough people, of one group, you kind of are one of them, even if it's not exactly, you know, your, your perspective, right? You're a theater person now, Brad. Yeah. I, one of my favorite things where I've got Brad into show business. Like he doesn't, he doesn't quite realize that the podcast is show business. It's so dawned on me lately. Show. Yeah. All right. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. Yeah, we're putting on a show, Brad. That's right. That's right. Yeah, begrudgingly at first, but I'm cool with it now. Um, but I, yeah, now, I that, now that we have an audience, now that yeah, people yeah. like us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what I took it to be, though, was this you if you are um, coolly ironic, then nothing there's no stakes to anything you do. It, the thing I think about, there's an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Dennis, they, they're making a they're making a movie or they're somehow involved in movies. I think Dee and uh, Charlie maybe are like background extras. And Dennis has this idea or I think he has an idea for a movie. I wish I could remember more specifically. I should go back and watch it because it was a perfect example of this. And anyway, he presents like part of his idea and he's just like, but also I want you guys to know I don't care about any of this. And that's kind of what the hipster thing was. It was like, I, I won't actually buy fully into anything. That way nobody can judge me. All this stuff that I think is cool, I think it's cool with a wink. So if you think it's lame, well, so do I. 
But if you think it's cool, well, so do I, right? You don't have to like, there's no stakes, anything. You don't have to settle on anything. You don't have to like, nothing has to be up to be judged um, and thereby, you know, dismissed. Um, and I, I think it was, it was a way to feel like emotionally secure somehow. Um, yeah. You can't hmm. get hurt if you don't care about anything. Right. But that doesn't make great art. It doesn't. It doesn't. It does not. It does not. Well, I am going to just quick talk about a, a thing that I have coming up. I'm really looking forward to this. I got asked by the editor uh, of this magazine, Athwart, to write a review of the new Werner Herzog memoir. So I get to peruse a copy, but I am going to listen to the 13-hour, 45-minute Werner Herzog narrated memoir yeah. of his of his own life and write a review you, about that. I can't Can you wait. quickly tell us what the title of the memoir is? Because it's the hardest title um, of all time. Oh my God. Uh every man for himself and God against all. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, and and it is as hard as metal. Speaking <laughs> of metal. Uh, but that's actually the title of um Alf Deutsch, the original title of uh, the Enigma of Casper Hauser. But oh, is it? Mm -hmm. That's okay. what I read anyway. And they, but they translated it into something a little more palatable for well, yeah. for an Anglo audience. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's one of my heroes, and I'm glad that. And I don't, I don't have many living heroes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's a cool opportunity because on Art of Darkness we only talk about dead artists, and of course Werner is still with us, and. Mm -hmm. hopefully for many years to come. Uh, but I think he's just a genius. I mean, he's potentially the greatest one of the, he's definitely on the short list of the greatest living artists and his yeah. documentaries are just staggering in the range that he displays. And you know, the thing that he says that the first thing that, where he wrote years ago, but the first thing that a, that a, a young would be filmmaker needs to learn how to do. Do you know what he said? I know. Uh, say Mari, do you know? Oh, uh, well, well, I, mean, I feel like that, that, I feel like it's yeah. got to be like fighting. <laughs> commit forgery. Commit forgery. First, Learn how to commit forgery. forgery. Well, I'm sure he did plenty of that. And I mean, talk about a guy who never asked permission to do anything. You just go to Peru. You get a bunch of guys. You pay them five mm -hmm. bucks, and they pull mm -hmm. a ship over a mountain. Right. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're we're doing here on uh, Mouthing Off, Bad Mouth Theater Company, Frogtown Radio, 94.1 FM, syndicated at Minnesota Playlist. Thank you, Minnesota Playlist. Thank you, Frogtown Radio. Thank you, Brad Kelly. Brad Kelly-esque, E-S-Q-U-E.com, on Twitter, at Brad Kelly. And he is one half, the better half, of the Art of Darkness podcast at artofdarkpod.com. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks and, for having uh, me, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you in the dark room, man. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Thanks, man.